Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 12,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales. But sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. Hello, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today, we have Dr. John Deloney, the best-selling author, mental health expert, and host of The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has two PhDs and over two decades of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. John's goal is to help you navigate through decisions, improve your relationships, and believe you're worthy of being well. Welcome to the show, Dr. John Deloney. Dude, thanks, Dustin. Uh, Do you want me to go by Doc? Dr. John, Mr. Deloney, what would you No, prefer? my mama named me John. You can just call me that. That's the least offensive one that my friends would use. So yeah, you're good, man. <laughs> Perfect. So you got your start in higher education and you served as the dean of students at both Texas Tech and Belmont. How did you get there? I was the dean of students at the law school there at Tech. I wasn't fancy enough to run the whole school, but I, I was a high school teacher and out of college. And I went from teaching high school to doing some this is and that's and ended up working at my alma mater at the university there. And man, I just loved working with students, with their families when the wheels were falling off and helping them solve problems. And so I sprinted through the ranks there. I wanted to be a college president, then just kept working my way through the system and then ended up here in Nashville at, at Belmont, just an extraordinary place. I was giving a talk to some parents and students. It was a theater, was about a thousand people in there. And Dave Ramsey's executive VP was dropping her daughter off. And she said, I'm going to hire that guy. And then I ended up in this crazy world as a YouTuber or whatever else I'm doing with my life now. <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about that. With that pivot, what was the difference when you started working in those two different worlds? Kind of what was the contrast? Well, I mean, actually backing up, I was working at a university, another university there in Texas. Man, it was all systems ago. I had my big fancy PhD and I thought there's nothing worse than a kid who just graduates with his graduate degree. I know it all. Yeah, dude. And <laughs> I was that guy. And my wife was a professor. She was real smart. We were making stupid money for, you know, when we were kids and we were young and we had a little kid and I was working as an associate dean. I was a professor also. I was doing a special thing with the president's office. I was doing all, all over the place. And for most of my job, it was dealing with other people's trauma. It was dealing with students who had issues in their residence halls, whether it was alcohol issues or psychiatric breaks, or if a kid had to go to a hospital, I was the guy that went and called mom. And then I went to the hospital and sat with them. Or if there was a police issue. So I was dealing with other people's trauma 24-7. And I wasn't sleeping. I was getting disconnected. And ultimately, I started spinning out. And suddenly, my body started saying, hey, we're out. We can't do this. And, you know, you duct tape things together and 
ultimately, I, I'll never forget getting in a car and driving three hours away to a buddy of mine who happens to be an MD in his medical practice. And I went to his office and said, hey, man, I'm not OK. And ultimately, I transitioned from that school to a smaller group of students there at the law school and said, I'm just going to focus on this group. My wife and I took a pay cut. And for our household, we moved cities. And I ended up going back to grad school to get another PhD in counseling. Like I had to figure out what happened to me. And I had to figure out what happened to my community, what was going on in my marriage with my kids. I really became enamored with mental health, with people taking care of themselves, with executive mental health, with these folks who, quote unquote, made it. But man, they're falling apart at the seams. And that started a five, six year journey. And ultimately, man, I came out the other side of that, a totally different human being. Man, let's unpack that a little bit. So you mentioned mental health and overall wellness. So what about that is special in what's going on in the world right now? I think there's a couple of things there. One, most of us just followed the roadmap that was laid in front of us. You got to do this and then you got to do that. My first grade son, when he was in first grade, they started telling him to start thinking about college right? They put him on a track when he's in first grade and he's in sixth grade. Now, everything is about next year's test. These kids are growing up in this world. We're learning who cares about learning, who cares about body movement. There's no, nothing to teach you about how to identify feelings and emotions and anger. And let's take the arts away and let's take physical fitness away and let's just drill and kill for this test. And by the way, if you fail it, six-year-old, sixth grader, 11th grader, your life is over, right? And that's the message they get. And then we say, go to college and take on six figures of debt, whatever it takes to get through college, because that's the magic ticket. And then you hit the real world and you realize, man, that sucker is full. It's like getting out of driver's ed and then you hop on the highway, man. That's a totally different game. The highway kids are playing, right? <laughs> and so you, you get dumped into this system. And what happens? You wake up at 32 and you're the associate director at your whatever business and you're making more money than your mom did, but you're not okay. You don't work out anymore. You start looking for the next job. You think that's going to help or the next drink or the next, you just continue to look at externally for all these issues. And I want people to look in the mirror and just to exhale for a second and say, man, look around. This isn't working. We're not all right. And the beauty is the cool thing is the path back is, is relatively simple. It's hard, but it's relatively simple and hard stuff is going to hit us all. And so we got to have a community of people. We have to have a bedrock of wellness underneath us so that when life happens, that we've got a bedrock of wellness that we can stand on as we navigate what comes next. Love it. So trauma, anxiety, how are these commonly misinterpreted? And then what would be the right way to think about it? That's a great question. So trauma in a, in a nutshell is simply when your body's coping systems are overwhelmed and when they're overrun, it has a couple of, you know, when we get stressed, it's got a couple of responses there. You can fight the thing, you can run from the thing, or you can freeze. So if you think about a bear at the front of your, uh, of a cave, your body dumps adrenaline and cortisol and all kinds of stuff into your system and fires you up to fight that thing. You pick up a stick, you're going to fight that bear, or you're going to sprint out the back door, or you're just going to play dead and hope it gnaws off your foot and drags you under a pile of leaves and you can run away the next day, right? So that worked back when we lived in caves and there was a threat by a bear. Now we're bombarded by media 24-7, 365. My kids' schools email me a thousand times a day with the new this and the that and the move and the this and the, all the text message and the this and the car insurance. And hey, by the way, it never stops. And so we've got systems that are just running and running and running. So if I circle back to trauma, what's been really extraordinary the last 10, 15, 25 years in the trauma research is this. 
there is acute trauma. And we hear that word. We think of the car wreck. We think of, you know, mom and dad suddenly pass away or the big divorce. So if you think about life as you got a backpack on, that's like somebody dropping a cinder block in your backpack or a couple of bricks. And you got to carry that around with you. What's been fascinating and really revealing has been this. There's also something about trauma that's cumulative and it happens over time. And so it may not be that your dad passed away. It may be that every time your dad, you heard your dad driving up the driveway, your heart started beating a little bit faster because dad came home from work angry every day. And you knew the best thing you could do was to get straight A's and get out of his way. And suddenly that bear came home every single day. Think about that as just a pebble every day in that backpack. After 20 years, 30 years, you wake up and the weight in that backpack is the same, whether it was little stuff or whether it was big stuff, whether your mom told you, hey, honey, you, you look pudgy in that shirt. Let's, we want boys to like us. Let's don't wear that shirt, right? That stuff just stays on a loop. And suddenly your body starts to say, hey, we're not okay right? And so these stories just rattle through our lives. That is trauma. And most of us have it cycling through us day after day after day. And we have to sit down and acknowledge, hey, this is what's actually happening. And the cool thing about our brains, when you acknowledge it and you own it and you work through it, our body goes, cool. Dustin's back in control now. I don't have to keep fighting or fleeing from things. He's good now. And so you can heal these old stories, man. You can heal these old traumas, then be about healing and what comes next. So, you know, a funny story for me was I was in my late 20s fishing with my father. And I said, Dad, did you ever find it weird that I failed English and spelling and all my foreign languages my whole life? And he, without even thinking about it, sat there and he casted and he looked at me and he said, well, yeah, that's because you have dyslexia, son. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I've known you've had dyslexia your whole life. And we just didn't want to ever tell you to have an excuse to hold you back. And wow. I actually got frustrated when he first said that. Yeah, I would have, sh- I would have shoved him into the lake. <laughs> I, know. I was like, you mean my whole life you knew this? I thought I was a loser. I thought I was dumb. People made fun of me. And I, I really struggled. It was really hard growing up. And then I thought about it in hindsight. And so this is my question for you. Say you have a kid that's dyslexic or put a label, you know, ADHD, sure. whatever, is what my dad did something that you would recommend or how would you go about making sure because I think that's what he was doing was he didn't want me to have a story about myself it turned out okay for me but what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh, man I'm sorry that happened to you I'm a big believer in telling kids the truth and I'm a big believer in this our culture has really presented us with two paths forward one is you're the worst thing that ever happened to you you are nothing more than your label, than your diagnostic. That's just who you are. You, you've got depression. That's just who you are. You've got these things, or you're the worst thing that you've ever done. You're the worst thing you've ever said. That's all you'll ever be. And you need some sort of entity to come save you. You need the government. You need some kind of special, that you need people to come in and hover around you and make sure you're okay, because you'll never be able to do it because you've got this, or you did this. And then you've got the other path, which is, you know what? You're feel. Who cares what happened to you as a kid? Suck it up and get over it. Grind it, crush it, kill it. Go make it happen. If you have feelings, that means you're weak. You have no character. And what I would say is, if you look at the neuroscience and you look at reality, both of those are nonsense. I have to tell my kid, the way your brain sees words is different than those around you. It's going to be hard for you. And so here's what we're going to do. And that's the magic moment. Most of us get stuck in the this happened. 
All of us have things that we don't want to talk about. We have those things. And then what comes next? So many of us have trauma. So many of us have hurt. So many of us <laughs> went through life thinking, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm a failure. Hey, here's mine. In third grade, I got asked to take this special test for the gifted and talented program. My sister was a savant. Like she still is. She's super smart. My little brother missed like two questions on the ACT or something. I mean, something ridiculous. So in my house, grades were a big deal. And this just understood you guys are smarter than everybody. I took this test and I didn't get in. I got a letter as a third grader. You didn't get in. So let's look at the reality of that story. The reality is my grades were good enough that they asked me to test. And I still was in my little fancy classes, whatever nerd honors classes, whatever geeks were in, right? I was still in those. But I didn't get in this little one hour a week club. And then I look up 30 years later and I'm finished in a second PhD. And dude, I'm still running from that story. Wow. And it panned out for me. It panned out for you. But there are millions and millions of others that it didn't pan out. They just shut down. And they don't even try. They don't feel like they can try. They don't even see an avenue towards being able to try. And that's who the that's the books for. The books for you. It's for me. Those of us who are successful. Those who are struggling. Those who are trying to figure it out. It's for everybody. Man. Wow. So let's say somebody has a child where they're getting picked on. The the kids are just making fun of them. They're bullying. It's traumatic. It's kind of one of those little pebble type of situations. But if it's happening enough, what kind of advice would you have for parents? to talk through that and advise the kid, like how would you handle that one? So I think there's a couple of different avenues there. Number one, I'm going to be an advocate for my kid with my kid's school. And if your kid's not safe, then I, as a parent, I'm going to go have some hard conversations. Now I had some work also to do at home because my life is not going to be bailing my kid out of every difficult situation. And so what we'll do at home is I'm going to contextualize it and say, this is hard. This is messy. Let's talk through what's happening. I'm going to create a space where not where I'm always lecturing my kid and giving him advice. I'm going to give my kid a space that his or her voice can be heard, that, I, that they feel like they have an anchor point in the day and not another adversary when they get home. Here's where that goes. A kid comes home and says, hey, so-and-so on the bus keeps flicking my ear every time. I don't like it. He makes fun of my backpack. It's easy for me to go, dude, just tell him to shut up or you need to just get in his face and tell him to buck up. And those are pithy parent statements that are getting me out of a hard conversation. What I really want parents to do is to sit down with that kid and say, walk me through it. What is your body telling you? Your tummy get warm? Does your heart start beating real fast? What is going to happen? And usually that's when your kids will really open up to you when you give them a space that you, they know you're not going to shut them down. Love it. So how does this play out when you're an adult? If you have unrealized trauma, how does that play out later on in life? Man, it's if you find yourself angry at a little league game, you're probably dealing with your own stuff. Mm. If you wake up, this happened two days ago. I do this for a living, Dustin. And this happened two days ago. I woke up at five to go get my workout in like a geek. And then I stopped and I picked up my cell phone and I went to one website and then I went to another one and then I went to another one. And then I look up and it's 45 minutes later. I'm reading everything. You know what I could have done though? I could have got my workout in. I could have made my wife her coffee so she didn't have to get up and I could have just taken it to her in bed. I could have written my kids a note that just told them I'm proud of them and I love them. I could have done those things, right? So when you find your body responding to situations that are out of context and out of order, do you really think your wife left her shoes by the door because she hates you? Seriously? Or because she's lazy? Like for real? I look for not the trauma things, but more what is our bodies telling us? Are we trying to check out a life? 
What are these things that you're doing to avoid? I want people to look in the mirror at those behaviors, at those things, and it happens to all of us. And that's when I begin to draw a line back to where is this story coming from? Where is this narrative? Where, where did I learn this behavior to cover up where I'm hurting? And usually you're going to find some sort of big or little trauma. there. So walk us through in your book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. You have five steps to being well. Walk us through a few of those and some of the solutions. I love how tangible your advice is. I appreciate that. You know, that was really important to me. I spent almost 20 years working in higher education with some of the most wonderful, kind, brilliant scholars. And man, we went to the conferences and presented all over the country and talked to fancy people about theories and this. And then I spent two years here at the Ramsey organization and I realized there's a lot of single moms with three kids just trying to get through the day. And I spent the last 20 years just talking over her. I just talking past them. And so this book was important for me. Just is a book to myself, really. Like I need to write a mental health book that I can actually understand, that can actually put my hands around a relationship book that I can actually touch. So when I get back to the steps, it's important, Dustin, for me to, to put this out there. There is nothing worse than those infomercial 14 steps to the new you, right? Or buy my book to the 11 ways to lose weight. Those are the worst. And so <laughs> these are less steps and more principles for the rest of your life. So these five things will just be a part of your life forever on a loop for the rest of your life. And if you can internalize them, it doesn't make everything bad go away, but it gives you a context for absorbing what's coming. So the first one is like we talked, you got to own your stories. You got to own what happened to you. And here's the thing. Those don't all just come out one afternoon. I actually carry in my bag a, a little notebook I have that I just write them down as they come up. And here's how they come up. I'll go down to hug my daughter. She's six. And I'll say, hey, come give me a hug. And she'll say, no, daddy. And she'll run away. And my first thought is, of course not, because you suck at being a dad. That's my first thought. And I'll write it down. And I'll look at it and say, is that true? No, she's six. There's a reason why we don't let her vote or buy beer or guns, because she's six. <laughs> she doesn't get a vote into my emotional health. Right? So I'm going to challenge those stories. And they're going to come out all the time. So you got to own your stories for the rest of your life. And then number two, you got to acknowledge reality. You wanted to have a marriage that looked like this, but yours looks like this right now. That's just reality. You wanted a kid who's going to be a great at football and your kid has some special learning exceptionalities that make life really hard. You got to acknowledge reality. You got to grieve that gap between what you hope for and what actually is. And then you got to go do the hard work, which is you got to get connected. You got to change your thoughts and you really have to change your actions. And those things, it sounds so simple and still like, ooh, okay, cool. It's hard, man. And it's the rest of your life. I believe the science backs me up here, but there is no life change that happens long-term sustainably without other people in your life. You can white knuckle your way to losing 40 pounds. You can, you can scratch and claw and get that done, right? But it'll come back. You can't ultimately make systemic life change, major shifts in who you are without other people in your life. So before you jump off the deep end and try to change everything and heal and all that, you got to have people that you can call at 2 a.m. Sometimes you got to call, have a counselor or a doctor, a professional in your corner. Um, you've got to have people that walk alongside you in this. And then you move towards changing your thoughts and changing your actions. I think the great curse of the last hundred years is that we thought that we could just, we could have the right thoughts and that it would all be okay. If I can just get my thinking right, then everything fixes itself. And unfortunately, man, we are physical beings. We got to do things differently. We got to get up and go do stuff. We got to move. We have to exercise. We have to say, I'm sorry. We got to go serve our communities. We have to 
have these actions that we're doing all the time. We got to do things differently. We often think that we are just a slave to our thoughts, that when that thought pops in our head of that fight I want to pick or that person that I've been thinking about, that I'm stuck in that thought or that thing that happened to me when I was a kid. And we have a lot more control over our thoughts if we will just have the willpower and the discipline and the practice to begin to change our thoughts. And sometimes your actions become your thoughts, right? Sometimes it it gets out of the way. Sometimes the last thing on earth I want to do is something nice for my wife. I, I, the la- like she's driving me crazy. The last thing I want to do, you know, the best thing I can do is get off my butt and go take the trash out. I can yeah. get off my butt and go do the dishes. Yeah. What's that old saying? You can't think your way into positive thinking, but you can act your way into positive. There action. you go. Love and it. It's both and right. So one of the things that one of our uh, mutual friends told me about you Uh-oh. was that you have a very specific morning routine that she (laughs) she wanted to make sure that I asked you about. So could you tell us about this morning routine? I'm very interested in this. Um, Yeah, I'm, uh, it's undergoing a little bit of a metamorphosis now, but I'm pretty pathological. So if there was an ADD poster child, ADHD, I I would be on the cover of that book. Um, (laughs) So a couple of things I know about ADHD is that it's generally a response to childhood chaos in a home. It's has some genetic tendencies, but they're, it's not destiny driven. It is, it's, there's a lot of epigenetic change that can happen there. What does that mean? That means that I can make some really significant decisions that help my focus and attention and my ability to be present with people. The first one of those is having a clean environment. Like if I will take the time to make sure things aren't cluttered and messy and crazy, and you should see my desk right now, I'm not doing a great job here at the office. The second thing is, is making sure that the phrase here is don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember how good it feels to get into a clean car before you go to work. Don't forget to remember how good it feels after your workout, because I I lean into, I know how much I'm going to want to skip that workout. So let's don't get to that first impulse. Let's get to, you know, how good it is when you've exercised. So my morning routine is, is pretty rigorous and it's pretty directive, meaning I'm not good with free time at five to six to 7 a.m. I will sit down and stare off into space. And I will fart the morning away and suddenly it'll be 830 and I'm late to work, right? I don't know how that happens. It just does. (laughs) So I wake up about five or 530 and usually have some sort of coffee or tea regimen that I get going. And then I'll go, I have a gym downstairs in my house and by gym, you know, I piecemeal Craigslist finds over the, over the years into a pretty cool home gym, but I have that downstairs and I make sure I get my workout in every day. And usually I've got a meditative practice and a gratitude practice. I write down five times, five different sentences that start with, I'm grateful for. Um, Now there's some new science that I've been wrestling with that instead of writing a gratitude journal, sit down and experience a moment of gratitude in your life. Just close your eyes and remember a time somebody did something for you that you were grateful for. Let that feeling go through your body. But I spend some time in gratitude. And then if I'm having a fasting day, I won't eat. I'll, I may go do a cold tub outside, which is the worst, but the best. And uh, other times I'll have breakfast. And then I make some really important time to make sure I touch my kids on the face. I make sure we hug. I make sure that they feel that stability. There's, there's a lot of science about the neurology of face and touch with kids that is grounding for them. And uh, I make sure me and my wife connect in the morning. And um, then I try to get to work on time. Sometimes I'll read. Sometimes I'll write. Usually I'm running and gunning there. My workouts usually take a little bit too long. I get carried away down there. But that's that makes up the bulk of it. And again, it sounds crazy and intensive, but usually it's five minutes to make coffee and 10 minutes to meditate and five minutes or three minutes to do a quick gratitude practice and 
So the whole thing doesn't take a whole lot of time. It's just got a lot of little pieces to it. That is excellent. And that sets the momentum for the day once you have that rolling. So that is excellent. Don't forget to remember. I I really like that part too. So tell us about your book. So own your past, change your future. Tell us about what we could expect. Why should the listeners check it out and what would they get out of it? Man, it's it's really what we've been talking about. It's it's the new third way. It is how to recognize what's going on inside of you, how to deal with what's going on inside of you, and then how to take the action steps for healing, changing your inside, what's going on inside of you, how to change your family tree when it comes to trauma, when it comes to anger and rage and frustration, how to do life, right? And the, the book's got science in it, but I wrote it for me. I wrote it for people. I'm, I'm the least sharpest tool in the shed in my house, right? So I wrote it for me and my buddies who are just trying to be good dads and good moms and good sisters and good brothers. And things have gotten so complex and so out of whack. And man, it talks about everything from technology to food, to death, to relationships, to marriage, to kids. And then what do you do about it? And throughout the story, I thread my own story about how I fell apart and some action steps. I took <laughs> some wrong and some good to make my way back. So it's, as I wrote the book, I was making sure this isn't a book I'm talking at anybody. I'm walking alongside this with everybody because I'm in the same boat you are, brother. We're, we're just trying to figure out how to be better, better community members and heal this mess we got. Mm. Well, I'm excited to read it. Thanks, man. How do people find you, John? You can go to John Deloney, D-E-L-O-N-Y.com. I'm looking forward to people picking it up. That's awesome. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, this was very tangible. And, and I, I love a lot of the way that every single person that is listening to this right now has some way that they could apply this. That's right. I uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. And thanks for being here on the Action Catalyst. Thank you so much, man. It's been a blessing to talk to you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.